Liz Braby of Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to the show. So you're here to talk about uh, a project of uh, art and disability. Tell us about it. What's it called? To yeah, start? that's right. Yes. Um, basically, the project that we're working on, it's got the title title called Talking About dot 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 Disabled People and Art. It's basically it's la- part of a much larger project, which is a partnership project involving lots of different museums. And all of them are looking at um, disabled people. They're looking at um, objects and artworks related to disability within their collections. And we've got a very fine art collection at our museum. And we're basically looking at exploring representations of disability within our artworks. And we've been working with a lot to people um, to help us come up with those new interpretations. So, so who funds this project originally? Um, the project is basically being run by the University of Leicester. There's a research centre for museums and galleries there. They've put the project together. They're funding part of it. It's also funded through the Heritage Lottery Fund and also an organisation called Nesta, which offers grants to science and the arts. And how much? How much? Well, all the museums have got different amounts of money coming to them. We've actually been very lucky to have 31,000 put into this project. Obviously a very, very important cause, very important project, so we're really pleased that they felt willing to put that much money into it. So so tell us, what's the process been so far in in actually evolving the project right in terms of evolving the project when we had really a sit down had a bit of a brainstorm first of all about what we could really do our project about as i said we've got a really great um, art collection at the museum and what we did find was that there are loads and loads of artworks which showed a representation of disability some of those were in our stores others were on display but the disability wasn't really highlighted or were by disabled artists where again the fact that the artist had a disability wasn't highlighted and who who chose that these were disability representations or not? Right. Um, Basically, in order to try and find artworks, it was quite an interesting process, actually, because we had to explore our database at the museum where we have everything listed about what sort of artworks we have, um, what their accession numbers is, where they're kept. And what we actually started off with, we typed in all sorts of terms into that database to find out if there were things related um, to disability. So some of the terms we had to use were quite old-fashioned ones and probably quite offensive today. So we were using terms like crippled, um, spastic, mental, things like those, because in the past, curators may well have used those terms in um, describing the artworks. But what we also found was um, our curators, we had to use a lot of their knowledge as well, because often the disability, as I say, wasn't referred to on the documentation. So it was actually the curators who was telling us some information about the artworks. Uh, So people went and looked around the gallery as well. So yes, that's right. We looked around the galleries. It was amazing, actually, the number of things we spotted just by literally walking around the art galleries and looking for this. But as I say, often before it hadn't been highlighted and that was why we didn't necessarily know and that's there were part these of the artworks. project is to highlight it where it hadn't been highlighted that's right before. that's right and on our databases now we're also we've put tags onto those records to highlight that they have got a relationship with disability so did did the original the, the larger project from leicester university did they come to you or did they send out a, an appeal for people to participate right um basically um leicester kind of did come to us but at the project 
this current project has come out of a project that they ran a couple of years ago. That was called Buried in the Footnotes and it was a research project and report where basically they did a huge um, analysis of some different museums in the UK to find out if they had objects related to disability in their collections. What came out of that was a lot of people initially thought they didn't have objects when they then explored their databases and collections in more detail. They found that they did. So that was the original um, piece of research and report came out of it. But what they wanted to do was take it one step further. So now that these objects have been identified, and Birmingham was one of those places where ob- objects had been identified, they wanted to create a new project which was actually saying, okay, we have these objects, let's get them out, let's display them, let's reinterpret them to make sure that they're looking at disability. So you were pretty much in from the beginning of the, the Yeah, pretty design. much in, in from the beginning, yes. And what was very good with this project was that we had a lot of scope to develop our own ideas and also develop those whilst working with disabled people, working with other people as well. So it basically means that all the partner museums are doing very, very different projects. So some are doing exhibitions, some are doing school resources, and some, like us, are, uh, well, uh, they're concentrating on things that are in their permanent collections and in their permanent displays. So it's basically meant there's been a lot of scope for creativity as well. So it's a reinterpretation of existing collection stuff? Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, our part in the project, we're basically creating a number of different audio points which are going by different paintings that are in our permanent um, art galleries. And what they're doing is basically offering a number of different interpretations related to the artworks, but particularly focusing on disability and people's experiences of disability. Okay, well... And so who are the key people involved at the art at the art gallery in Birmingham? Okay, the key people involved, we were very keen to make sure that this project involved a wide range of staff members, but in particular our curators and the people who are quite familiar with the collections. So we have a number of art curators involved in the project, um, particularly Brendan Flynn and Victoria Osborne. I've also been working with the community development officer and some of the outreach officers as well. But I think what was really important about this project was that we got disabled people themselves involved. So we basically had a group of six people Um, basically disabled artists um, who came along, came to a number of workshops and worked with us in creating these new interpretations related to disability. Uh, Today's guest is Liz Braby from Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. And we're talking... What's the name of the project again? I've forgotten. It's It's Talking About Disabled People and Art. Talking About, right. Okay, so uh, disabled people are involved, yes? Yes, that's absolutely right, yes. And and how are they involved? Okay, what we've basically done is we've worked with a group of disabled people, um, largely disabled artists, in creating these new interpretations for the artworks that relate to disability. So we basically had two workshops um, with this group of people. Um, We had some consultants helping them through um, the different activities and exercises that we were doing. But the large um, aim, really, of the workshops was to work with these people to reinterpret interpret the artworks so a lot of the artworks they're on display at the moment at the museum they show a representation of disability within them but they don't highlight this at all so basically this interpretation project has been working with those artists to really focus on the disability element and to really relate their own experiences of being people with um sorry being disabled people 
actually relate their own experiences to the painting. A lot of the paintings are also quite old, so at the time they were painted, they may have had a certain meaning, but also the meaning that we now put on them today may well have changed. So we're looking at sort of past experience of um, disability, but we're also looking at more contemporary experiences as well. So where, where did you get these disabled people from? Okay, we basically used some of our contacts, really, and asked people to recommend people. What we were really keen to do was involve people who not only were artists themselves, so obviously knew quite a lot about art, but people who were sometimes quite politicised, who had a lot of knowledge in terms of issues related to disability. And so we'd have really, really strong new interpretations that we could then put up in the art galleries. And, and so given that a lot of disabled people are quite stroppy and opinionated, was there any problems or difficulties in that? <laughs> well, we always welcome strops, Paul. We think that they really help debate and discussion. Um, no, not at all, really. I mean, I think one of the good things about this was that there was a forum for discussion because one of the things we said about early on in the project was that we could maybe just talk to one or two people and put just their own interpretations down. But one of the things we really wanted to do with this was actually to have a more collaborative approach. So we involved um, six disabled artists, but they're basically the interpretation that came out of that was as a result of their discussions and we thought that was that was very important rather than just representing one opinion that we had that dis debate and that discussion as part of the project so can you tell me the names of these participants i can is indeed. it open for public discussion i can indeed it's whether or not i can remember them off the top of my head go on try it off the top <laughs> of your head there's six so some of the um, participants some of you out there may already have heard of them um, we have got tanya rob um, she's a visual arts manager for disability arts in shropshire i'm not remembering this all off the top of my head i have got some of these things written down um, and she's been basically involved in many disability arts projects and and her work particularly explores representation. She's of been a regular guest people. on the show. So. Oh, I thought she might have done for. Um, we've also got Zoe Partington Solinger. Um, she's worked for a creative disability equality management training consultancy service. And in fact, she's also been offering us some training um, for our front of house at the moment related to customer service and disability awareness. Um, we've got Ruth Kay, she's a performance poet. Um, Janie Anderton, who is also an artist, and she's actually doing an MA in Wolverhampton itself at the moment, actually, um, looking at disability art and art and disability. One of the participants, I believe you know, Paul, it's actually your good self. <laughs> so Paul has well, also been... Well, I wouldn't been, say I know myself. <laughs> Paul has also been involved in the project and brought lots and lots of things to it. <laughs> and then finally, we've got Colin Hambrook, who is also an, art, an artist, um, an arts worker and a survivor of the mental health system as well um, he's been involved with a disability arts <coughs> magazine um, in London and that was in the 1990s and more recently he's also set up a disability arts online um, magazine so a web-based magazine so all the artists as I say they've got their finger in lots and lots of different pies they've got lots and lots of knowledge all related to disability and we felt they'd be really strong people to have on board so uh, I'm interested in the idea that for example there was twice as many women as men was that an intentional choice <laughs> it wasn't intentional at all no and um, basically we started off with a list probably of about three people or so and as some of those we actually asked for additional contacts so we really just contacted people who we who you know were recommended to us who we thought would be um good people for the project so i'm sorry it wasn't a 50 50 uh, no no I, th <laughs> I, th I think it's very good i think women are usually marginalized it, 
in society, in disability society, disability community as well, uh, you know, there's no less racists in disabled people than anywhere else. So I think it was very good that you had more women than men. Oh, that's very good. I'm equally <laughs> pleased we had a spread, though. <laughs> I'm interested you mentioned Zoe and the training. Did you yourselves have any specific disability training before you started this or the prior project? We didn't really have that much um sort of training I suppose related to disability I, mean, I think um, a number of staff at the museum and myself have been on various things in the past but not more recently um, the University of Leicester who as I say was running the project and um, they were actually very good in having a number of days where we actually went along to Leicester um, as a group all the partner museums and we explored some of the issues and some of the things that might come up in the projects so that was quite good at sort of quite good background information before we got started So, so would you say this project is in the mould of the social model of disability. It is definitely in the mould of the social model. Um, and I feel actually, I th you sort of asked about training, but I think actually one of the things that I have found is that it's been a really good learning curve for me actually being involved in the project. So though I may not have had that much training initially, what I've actually learned from the project, I feel means that I can then lead into other projects now, feeling more comfortable, meaning feeling more confident and having sort of a greater understanding um, around disabled people, um, disability issues, those kinds of things. So what's your role at the, universe, at the gallery? At the gallery, my role is audience development development officer mm -hmm. um, it's actually a very wide-ranging role people always say what do you do Liz and I always find it really hard to kind of categorize what I do but what it's largely to do with is basically um, building audiences for the museum introducing new audiences into the museum but also making sure that we're working um, with communities in lots and lots of different ways so it could be through consultation and involving people it could be through representation making sure everyone in the community is represented within the museum it could be looking at access issues and a whole range of other things. So I have a very varied role at the museum. <laughs> Today's so so. Tell me, give us an, a precise example of of what you're doing with a painting. It's a reinterpretation the, of a painting. So tell us how. Give us an example and talk us through what. Yeah, it's that's be. absolutely right. Basically, the project is involving eight different paintings in our collection that show a representation of disability. So for each painting, we're basically having an audio point um, located next to the painting and that will have a number of different tracks on it that visitors can listen to now the first track is basically going to be background information on the painting that's going to be spoken by one of our art curators and it's really to give the painting a little bit of context so a bit of historical context about who painted it at what time it was painted a bit maybe about society at the time but the other tracks are then going into really exciting things, I feel. Um, the next track is basically about how the painting relates to disabled people's experiences. And that's basically a collaborative approach. I said to you before about having a group of disabled artists who've been working on the project. And that is basically a statement all about their collaborative ideas about how the painting relates to disabled people's experiences, either in the past or today as well. We also wanted to get really, really creative with the project as well. So as well as having some of that information um, on the audio um, track, we also wanted some more creative stuff as well. So what we asked people to do as well was to tell a personal story inspired by the painting. So each of the audio points has got one track that is very much a personal story or a personal anecdote from that disabled artist. Some of them have also got poems on them as well, again related 
related to disability. And we're also making sure that the um, painting is more accessible for blind and partially sighted people as well by providing an audio description of the painting. So that's basically describing physically what the painting looks like. And what, what, what are the works? Right, the works. There's basically a whole range of works. Um, we were slightly limited in terms of what we had in our collection and also what could go on more permanent display. So, for example, we weren't able to use any of our watercolours because we wanted to keep these paintings and the audio points up in our galleries for a long period of time. But we did basically have quite a lot to choose from, which was really, really good. And we tried to go for quite a range. So we have some paintings that are really quite famous. So, say, for example, there is one called The Blind Girl that some people may have heard of um, by John Everett Millet and it's uh, one of our pre-Raphaelite paintings which um, Birmingham Museum is quite well known for and that was painted in about 1854 to 1856 and that shows um, a girl sitting in a field with her sister um, she's blind and she basically can't see the double rainbows that are on in the sky behind her which her sister are looking at but she's experiencing the countryside through all her other senses as well so that's one example um, of a fairly old painting. Um, in contrast, we then have some that are very, very modern. So, so for example, we have um, some lovely works um, by an artist called Barbara Delaney, um, who painted them in 1995 to 97. Um, they actually reflect a time when she um, lost her sight temporarily. And as her sight returned, she saw lots of different colours first and lots of different contrasts. So she's created a number of paintings that are all showing horizons, showing landscapes in lots of different wonderful vivid colours so we've got a real combination between quite traditional paintings from a couple hundred years ago to quite modern ones and contemporary art and and so who 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 is this for in that sense yeah we basically wanted to do this project um, really for a broad audience for the museum. So we do want to be highlighting these artworks to anyone who visits the museum. So what we were really keen to do was make sure that the interpretations were quite um, simple to understand um, and were written in quite accessible language as well. So that basically anyone who picks up a headset should be able to understand uh, what the thing is about. However, we also particularly wanted to do this project because we do really feel that representation is very very important the museum should be representing all members of communities who live around the museum who come from further afield so we did particularly want to do this project really to show how important it is that disabled people are highlighted in the museum to show that they have been around now they have been around in history um, in art and that they're not a group who are marginalized or not represented within the museum and how long will the audio points be up? Right, we're basically hoping the audio points up will be up for at least a year. Um, obviously technology moves on and it might be a case of in a couple of years we've got even better technology that we can use for a project like this. But we're hoping it will be something quite long term. So rather than being in an exhibition where they might only be up a few months, we wanted to incorporate something into our very permanent galleries um, particularly some of our very popular galleries like the pre raphaelite galleries that have a lot and lot of visitors each year.
So changing the subject slightly, mm -hmm. you've been to Wolverhampton Art Gallery this morning. I yes? did go to Wolverhampton Art Gallery this morning. And what's your comments on that? So I think it's fabulous. <laughs> In what sense? Um, I think, again, if we're talking about accessibility, I think it's very accessible. There's lots of things to do, to touch. I'm one of those people who very much likes to go to museum and art galleries and do things rather than just standing and looking and reading. And so is that from a kind of audience development perspective? I think like slightly, it? actually, and that's probably what interested me about going into audience development is because I like a really, really interactive experience whenever I'm visiting somewhere. So I was really impressed. I think um, Wolverhampton has done some very good things in really involving people um, when they actually experience and go to the art gallery. And had you been to it before? Um, I'd been there briefly before, but it was good to have a chance today to look around in a so bit more depth. Was that before they'd had the extensions? Um, I'd been to see the extension just once. Right. Yeah. Right. But yes, it looks very, very snazzy. I was very, very impressed. So just to get a little bit of an insight into you, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Well, I find my job quite um, quite busy and quite tiring. So often for fun, I'm just watching television at home, Paul. <laughs> or sometimes going out to the cinema with friends or going out for a drink. So what's your favourite disability film? My favourite disability <laughs> film. I'll have to come back to you on that one, I think, Paul. <laughs> so what, what are you expecting the gallery, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, to get out of this in the longer term? Right. As I said before, I, mean, I think every museum should be striving to make sure that everyone in the community is represented in some way within the museum. And I feel that in terms of what we're getting out of it is firstly making sure that we are a service, we are a museum that, that is for everybody and reflects everybody within communities. Why? Why do I feel that? Why, why should it reflect? Because I feel that a museum is... It's something for the public and I think you can't really expect people to go somewhere if they feel they, uh, they aren't reflected or they're not represented or they can't relate to it in some way or another. Uh, and so, so do you think everybody should, should have equal access to everything? I think we should try strive to have equal access for everything because at the end of the day I feel that everyone should have a right to do what everyone else does, obviously within reason and within constraints. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the museum, I feel we should be doing our best to ensure that anyone who would like to come to the museum can come to the museum, knows it's there and can have an enjoyable and relevant experience for them. So today's guest is Liz Braby from Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, BMAG, is that what you call it for sure? Yeah, that's right, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how has this changed the ideas and the mentality and the attitudes of any of the curators participating? Right. I think basically for everyone who's participated at the museum, I think it has helped, I suppose, in some ways, open our eyes, broaden our understanding of disability and also working with disabled people. Um, I know for me, as I said before, I feel like it has been a strong learning curve. Um, I organise a couple of workshops for the participants. But even with that, I suppose it's not realising certain things and just basically working with disabled people became becoming sort of well, enabling me to understand a bit more about how I, as an individual working at the museum, can help um, make our service more accessible for people and ensure that everyone has an equal experience. I do feel, though, that it's been really good involving lots of different members of staff because sometimes we have people who don't necessarily have a lot of contact with the public, um, who maybe haven't worked with disabled people before so by involving a lot of different people at the museum I think again that's been a learning curve for everyone and I think everyone's understanding has become a lot better.
So I understand you do, you're organising some targeted training for various staff. Could you tell us a bit yeah, about that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. One of the things we wanted to do with this project was, as well as doing the kind of interpretation part of the project, was also to provide some training for staff. But we were really keen for that to be quite targeted. So we've actually, we've just done a three-day programme um, for different front-of-house staff, and that's been particularly focused on customer service and disability awareness. And we've actually had that being run by a company called Ruby Associates and they've done a lot of work around disability training but particularly within the arts and culture field so they were able to devise a course for us that was very targeted and very relevant to front of house. Um, we're also hoping to go on to do some more training, again targeted at different members of staff. So one might look at interpretation and exhibitions, one might look at more policy and management level, and the other one could be looking at community engagement and actually you know, engaging with disabled people in terms of consultation or working on projects together. And so how do you see this in the context of other kind of marginalised groups like gender, sexuality and race? Um, we've actually done a number of projects at the museum, again, that are focusing on some of those other groups. Um, our priority audiences at the moment are very much um, people who are underrepresented within our museum profile in comparison with the city profile at the moment. So that includes black and minority ethnic communities, disabled people, young people, particularly teenagers, um, and some of those um, types of groups. So basically, throughout the work we do, we are basically working working on projects or looking at ways in which we can particularly engage with those more marginalised communities. So coming back to the audio points, which I've got an image of here that looks very interesting, are they are they being designed for this project or are they new or old or what? Yeah, absolutely. We're designing them specifically for this um, project, working with an audio company. Um, and again, what we try to do is make sure that they are very accessible. So they're at a height um, for wheelchair users and they've also got a slope screen. Um, as you listen to the audio, there is also a written ver version on the screen as as well and as I said before there's an audio description as one of the buttons um, that you can press to get an idea of what the painting looks um, looks like physically. Um, we were also very keen for the project to be quite prominent within our permanent galleries but to also complement the decor and the style of painting in those galleries as well so some of the audio points will have a, a nice mahogany finish to go with our sort of mahogany border that we've got in a lot of the art galleries. So where else are you going to be promoting this project? Okay, one of the um, fortunate things about this project is that as a partnership project, it means that we're actually getting a lot of promotion done quite centrally through the um, main leaders um, of the project, and they're the University of Leicester, the Research Centre for Museums and Galleries. So they have been doing a lot of promotion of the project um, locally, regionally, and also nationally as well. Um, but we will also be promoting it within the museum, but also within Birmingham as well. And as you know, today I've come on the radio to talk about it as a way to promote what's going on at Birmingham Museum. So as, as an audience development officer, how will you judge if this is a success? Right, as well, um, again, as part of the project, we've actually got evaluation very much built into it because really it's very hard to assess how well a project has gone without evaluating it and finding out 
what's gone well and also what hasn't gone as well and what we can do better next time. So we will be having some evaluation postcards um, actually on the audio points in the galleries for visitors to fill out and that will be asking questions like um, if someone's attitude or opinions about disability have changed as a result of the project. Um, We've also been really keen to evaluate what our participants um, have felt about the project as well. So when when they finish their part in the project, which is largely the recording element, of their audio they will also be receiving evaluation forms because I think for us we felt with this project as well as the outcome the audio points being very important it's also very important the process and this new process that we've really gone through involving and really getting people very much to manage the project themselves and really delivering or or creating the content for the project. So what would you say that you could have done better? What we could have done better, I think one of the things that we've been very aware of is that our participants are very, very busy people. They've involved with lots and lots of different things. And I think something that would have been good would be to have had more time with our participants as a group and maybe have had an extra workshop. But really, that's one of those things that have been quite difficult because everyone's been very busy and it was quite difficult to agree dates. Uh, So what... What in the long term do you want the gallery to get out of this? Right, as I said before, I think <laughs> I think it's really a case of that we we want to feel that we're trying new things, that whatever we do, we learn from and we create a better museum and gallery as a result. So in the past we've done some projects that have related to disability, but often these have been quite temporary ones, for example, temporary exhibitions. Um, and things like that so this was one that was more permanent and again we felt that this was something important to do because it was making sure that representation was there all along or is there all along rather than only for a a short period. A a lot of problems that uh, disabled people have with galleries is that uh, it's very difficult for disabled artists to get into them if you go and approach a gallery as as any disabled artist, you know, especially the curators, they're the worst. You know, they're quite resistant to getting new artists with new ways of thinking into the gallery. Do you think this will help change that at Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery? I hope that it will. And I think that, um, as I say, we're doing a lot of work at the moment in actually all areas of the museum, not just within this project, about making sure that we're um, representing people more widely, that we're getting new people into the museum. One of the things we're doing at the moment is very much working on an exhibition policy and strategy. So rather than um, reacting to maybe exhibitions um, or artists who approach us, we're also going out and particularly seeking um, sort of exhibitions that actually relate to some of those priority audiences who we want to get into the museum as well. Because I know that over, over the last like 20 years, galleries have been very good at access, which is all well and good, but what disabled people really want is participation and inclusion in those exhibitions. And I don't just mean, because uh, what often galleries do do is they'll have a general kind of disability exhibition rather than getting in a couple of, a single or a couple of, quality disabled artists and exhibiting them galleries are very very slow in doing that and and uh, you know uh, that's partly why i agreed to do this in the hope that it will change that situation Mm. in birmingham and i'm being hard on birmingham (laughs) there is nowhere that is better than anywhere else so when when does this start 
when can people right. enter the gallery and start pressing buttons with all this stuff about? Right. Well, the project is almost there at the moment. Um, we're just recording the audio and the audio company is also making the audio points. So I don't have an exact date for you yet, unfortunately, but basically by the end of October, so end of October 2007, in about five or six weeks' time, then you can come to the museum and you'll be able to explore the audio points to your own satisfaction. And of course, it's all free of charge. It is, absolutely. Um, entrance to the museum is free. I mean, we also do have lots of family events and those kinds of things, which are also free. Um, the museum is also open every day of the week. Um, it's open 10 until 5 on most days, um, 10.30 till 5 on Friday, and then 12.30 till 5 on Sundays. So anytime you come along, as I say, it's part of our permanent collections so anytime the museum's open you'll be able to come along and have a listen so just just a couple of final questions are are, are the gallery pressing for the council to make the front entrance accessible because it's always a bit annoying as a disabled person coming to birmingham museum art gallery a to find where you've got to go in and then it's a little lift down the back of the side street absolutely i mean one of the good things that I can report today is that we have just put in a really big application to the Heritage Lottery Fund um, for a 20-year development plan for the museum and that's basically going to be a complete overhaul of the museum in terms of the building itself, in terms of the galleries, the content of the galleries, um, exhibition spaces, more or less everything over 20 years and one of the things that I know is in um to well towards one of the first phases of the museum is to actually create a ramped entrance that goes up into the main entrance to the museum so it will be a lot more prominent that's a novel idea <laughs> so how, how did you get into arts how did I get into arts? Or um, are you into arts? Or is I it am just very much into arts, yes. In fact, I did um, a degree in archaeology when I was at university, but one of the things I realised quite soon, actually, was that if you were actually doing the digging itself, you had to often be out in the rain and the mud and the cold weather, whereas if you actually worked at a museum, you could enjoy all those artefacts in the warm, in the dry. So that was one reason, really, why I went into museums. And where did you do your art degree? Um, I did the archaeology degree at Reading University. At Reading University. Yes. And are you a Midlander? Um, I'm not a Midlander originally. Um, I've been living um, in the area for about two years, but before that I came from Bedfordshire. Bedfordshire. Um, Dunstable in Bedfordshire. Dunstable in Bedfordshire. Well, we won't hold that against you. So I'm slowly moving north. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd just like to thank you for coming on the show. I think it's been really interesting and I hope a lot of people have got stuff out of it and hopefully they'll all come to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Anytime. Cheers.